0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled here in the tall timbers of Colorado. It is Thursday, July 13th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us, and I am really looking forward to our show today. I've got uh, my good friend, Dr. Brad Maston from Fort Collins Bible Church and Fort Collins Bible Uh, college with us today. He's been on several times, uh, always a favorite, uh, just a solid biblicist, knows the Word of God, and and we're going to talk about an encouraging subject today. You know, we spend a lot of time Preparing people, trying to wake people up to the realities of what's going on in this world, particularly from the perspective of Satan's Luciferian conspiracy that he is uh, hard at work, uh, you know, pushing, trying to get uh, control of this world. Uh, and so, and that's that's biblical. These are the signs of the times. You know, we're, we're we believe the Lord's coming back soon, uh, but every now and then, you you really need to focus on the good news and the fact that. God wins in the end, and no matter what Satan's trying to do, it's futile. Uh, God is, is sitting in the heavens laughing at him because he dares to think he can somehow win this battle. And so today with Brad Massa, we're going to be talking about a kingdom like no other. What will life be like in the millennium when Christ comes back to inaugurate the long-awaited kingdom of glory? And uh, I can think of no one better to talk about that than Brad. Before I bring him on, let me just give you a rundown on what we've had already this week. It is Thursday, of course, so that means we've, we're nearing the end of the week. We kicked it off on Monday with Leo Homan, and we talked about how close are we to the one world system. If you've not listened to that one, uh, please go back and listen to that dialogue between me and Leo, as it really, I think, exposes a lot of what's going on geopolitically in the world. That night, Monday night, we did a second podcast, and that was a theological roundtable with a a group of about 25 ladies from up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and they had some outstanding questions. We ended up going for an hour and a half, almost two hours, of just uh, talking about different Scripture passages, different current events, different theological principles, and I know you will benefit from listening to that uh, Q&A. Uh, Tuesday, of course, was Prophecy Night, and I continued our study of uh, why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever with a look at some of the geopolitical uh, issues that indicate the stage is being set uh, for the return of our Lord. And we talked about a biblical uh, perspective on how war has uh, really, ever since the fall of man, been a key facet Uh, of Satan stirring the pot and trying to create, uh, you know, destruction and devastation on earth and in his effort to take over the world. So, Prophecy Night, you can watch that by video or podcast, all available for free at notbyworks.org. Wednesday, yesterday, we did our regular world events update with Randy, and as always, it was just a both enjoyable discussion, sometimes humorous discussion, but mostly informative discussion with him as we looked at all that's going on uh, in this world and how it could relate to Bible prophecy. Uh, So I'll bring Brad on here in a second, but want to remind you tomorrow we'll close out the week with my uh, technology update with our technologist Shane, and I can't wait to talk to him about some of the breaking developments in the world of AI, and that will be uh, tomorrow. But today... Let's uh, fast forward in our mind's eye to the wonderful time when the lion lays down by with the lamb and the baby plays by the cobra's pit. All of those metaphors that are used in the book of Isaiah to talk about this wonderful time of unprecedented peace and righteousness when Christ himself, in fulfillment of all prophecy, comes back to take the throne. So we're calling this a kingdom-like No other. Brad, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for taking your valuable time to uh, talk to our listeners today.
1: Thanks for having me, JB. It's always such a delight to be with you.
0: So you obviously are an expert in eschatology. You know, your mind thinks theologically. You teach uh, at the college and seminary levels. You and I have interacted at the conference realm uh, lots of times over the years. And so I know that uh, this is like, in some regards, a second nature to you. You love to study the end times. And so uh, when we talked about doing a, a podcast on the millennium, I thought, man, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. So uh, kick us off here. Kind of tell us uh, some of the key passages or kind of what you had on your mind about the millennium.
1: Well, you know, it's it's one of the things that uh, I find is is almost easy to ignore. As you so well point out, with with uh, such great clarity and frequency, there is a great conflict going on. There's a great uh, war and battle, and deception is just uh, tantrum. Unlike any age before, uh, to, to use a familiar phrase, it's unprecedented how uh, amazingly deceived even Christians and churches are and as we, we know, we're building up to this seven year tribulation where the Antichrist uh, takes the helm and Satan kind of makes his final ploy and big play. Uh, and we know, of course, that Christ is victorious uh, within that. We also know that every believer in Jesus Christ won't be there for that seven-year period because of the saving work of Jesus that we look forward to that rapture that precedes that time. But it's interesting that you know we've got that wonderful – or wonderful, that painful, difficult, uh, fearful seven years, and it's going to be followed by a thousand years of, as you mentioned – peace and prosperity the world over that we've never seen, in fact, that we can we've we can hardly dream about. And so uh, for me, especially as we look at some of the negative things and the things that, as you so well pointed out, they shouldn't be troubling to us. In fact, they're encouraging to us uh, because this is exactly what the Bible said was going to happen. It's all being prepared uh, right before our eyes. So it should be a great encouragement to our faith. But lest we lose hope, I think there's always value, at least for me, in spending a little bit of time in in our in our thoughts and in our even our imagination in the positive sense considering what that thousand year period will be like i mean like any child who is coming back from spring break just longs for summer break with the the deepest desires of their heart so it is that we are meant to be motivated i believe very seriously by of course the rapture but also that part in which we we will have and the enjoyment that we will have in the messianic kingdom. Um, And so I'm reminded of the words of Christ in Matthew 6.10. Now, of course, he's speaking to Israel without context yet to the church uh, age and, and all that would come. That was yet a mystery. Uh, but he uh, urged them, even in his model prayer, to pray, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. They were meant to anticipate the kingdom so much so that in Matthew 6.33, of course, our well-known verse, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. Added to you. So uh, clearly, uh, the Jewish mindset was meant to be built upon and was built upon that anticipation of a literal earthly reign. And Jesus never redefined that, right? We have lots of modern uh, theologians that want to spiritualize that or make that symbolic in some sense, or even in the most grotesque uh, theological ignorance, try to equate that kingdom with the church, with what's going on now. And Not only are those destructive, but they're ridiculous. Do you still encounter that frequently? Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, the kingdom now concept, uh, we talked about that uh, in my roundtable discussion Monday night from Grand Forks, North Dakota. But uh, yeah, I like what you said there about you know how Jesus never uh, altered that or, or dispelled the notion of a literal kingdom. In fact, throughout his three and a half year ministry, at every turn, you see references in the gospels to the anticipation of a literal Earthly kingdom. Uh, the disciples wanted to know who would be the greatest when that kingdom comes. Uh one of the disciples' moms asked if her sons could sit on either side of him in the kingdom. Jesus told the twelve disciples that they would reign on twelve thrones with him. And um and so, and even up, up at the very end, you know, uh they were still obsessed with the kingdom as Jesus ascended uh to the right hand of the throne of God and they said, Hey, are you at this time going to restore this kingdom? Is it finally time? And and he did not Rebuke them for their expectation of a literal kingdom. Rather, he simply said, "It's not for you to know the times or the seasons." So, and then we could do the same thing through the book of Acts. We could look at several key markers where uh, you see, for example, in chapter three, where Peter was still anticipating the consolation of Israel, the return of Christ, and so um, it is something that you know after two thousand years of church age of the church age, we um, you know understandably, I suppose, might begin to shift our focus away from the kingdom to come. And that's why I'm so grateful that we're going to be talking about that today, is it really reminds us of why it all matters. And I'm sure you're going to be talking about uh, how the kingdom and our uh, rewards in the kingdom serve as a key motivator for this present age, right?
1: Absolutely. And and I think that uh, is is something that oftentimes gets overlooked. I mean, we will think of, or we may be tempted to think of, of uh, and I even use the analogy myself, right? Just now, not for that purpose, but think of the millennial kingdom as a summer vacation, but it's not. It's a working situation, right? We have the opportunity to serve and glorify God in ways that we at this point uh, can't, again, fully appreciate or don't fully have a full comprehension of. And this is the training ground. Today, what we're yeah. doing, how we live now, is going to dictate the uh, capacity in which we're able to glorify and serve him within that uh, kingdom period. So. There is intense need for us to recognize that, in some sense, all of our service to the Lord, which is of course, all by His provision, and all by His grace, the big payout begins in the millennial kingdom. The big payout comes when we are made useful, made a part by His grace. Again, made a part of all that He is going to do, be a part of His administration, ruling and reigning with Him. So, um, this is not just escapism, even in the the sense of you know having a little mental break, but it is really setting the compass as to what should motivate and, um, and, and dictate many of our actions in this life today. Yeah.
0: and in fact we should be we should be always looking forward to the coming of Christ. We we understand based on the New Testament truth that that coming is in two phases. He's going to come first in the sky to meet the church in the air at the rapture First Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, mm-hmm. Titus 2:13 and many other passages. Uh, but he's also going to come back and we're going to come back with him. Uh, seven some odd years later, maybe a little longer uh, at the end of the tribulation uh, to inaugurate the kingdom. And, you know, when you talk about the present age being a, a testing ground or a proving ground, another purpose of this present age I might just throw in here is that the church, when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, is supposed to serve as a foretaste or a foreshadowing of what life in the kingdom will be like for Israel. Remember, Paul talks about that in Romans. He says that essentially uh, the purpose of the church age is to provoke Israel to jealousy. In other words, Israel, when the king first came on the scene, they crowned him with thorns and rejected him. The nation of Israel did. Um, But then after seeing uh, what we get to experience, things like the indwelling Holy Spirit— Unmitigated access to the throne room of God, the uh, direct uh, you know intercession without having to go through human mediators, the the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, that happens at conversion, the camaraderie and oneness that we have with one another, mm-hmm. all of that, uh, Israel, the time ta- the next time Christ comes around, they're going to think, man, I want that. You know, it's really what what God's people were supposed to be doing all along. They were supposed to go into the promised land and, and, you know, by following the Lord's righteousness and living out uh, their trust in Yahweh, they were supposed to serve as an example to the pagan people around them who would then say, hey, we want what you have. Well, in the same way, the church is supposed to be setting that example for Israel. So the church is not the kingdom but it is a microcosm or a foretaste of the kingdom to come, in my view. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, most certainly. And something that you highlighted that I think is is really important and often missed is that the idea or the doctrine of the kingdom is not a New Testament doctrine, certainly. Uh, and it's even not relegated to the prophets, where we do get wonderful prophecies about the millennial kingdom in Isaiah and Ezekiel, and Jeremiah and elsewhere. We get just great beautiful and exciting pictures and might I say that I think a part of the reason why people can even imagine or, or bear to uh, compare or think that the church is the kingdom is simply because of their ignorance of the greatness of of those promises. But I would argue that the kingdom idea starts right in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God creates this beautiful world and then he creates man, Adam and Eve, to be the stewards over that and essentially be his mediators over this kingdom of the earth to uh, be fruitful, to multiply, to make it all beautiful and productive just according to his will and after his, uh, his character. And that idea, you know, moves forward very briefly before finally Satan interferes and uh, messes up, if you like, God's sort of kingdom plan. Of course, God was sovereignly knowledgeable that it would happen and had a plan for redemption. But it's interesting that as we see God's choice of the physical nation of Israel, there is a Restoration or return to that kingdom idea that this is the kingdom through which he is going to establish another mediatorial reign. So that's why the Davidic promises, the expectations surrounding David and his line are so important, not just because they look forward to the ultimate messianic reign, but because that is the the very vehicle through which he's going to rule and, and reign and redeem the earth. That was his plan all. Along, right? So realizing that uh, this church parentheses, as you so well said, uh, it, it smacks of it has uh, the characteristics of many characteristics of that future kingdom. It's only sort of the sneak preview on the event, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting when you talk about the mediatorial kingdom—that's a great word. We don't hear it often these days. But uh, who was it, McLean? I think that really popularized the term in his book, The Greatness of the Kingdom, if I'm remembering right. But um, mediatorial just means a kingdom that is funneled through one individual. There's one person reigning and ruling over it, or one group, or the, it's it's got a steward, if you will, of that kingdom. And uh, Christ is not on the throne in the kingdom today. He's at the right hand of the throne of God, which is the throne in waiting, as we read about in Psalm uh, 110. Uh, at some point, God's going to say, go get them. He's going to say, it's time to go take the earthly throne and the Rebuilt temple. Um, but, uh, it, you know, we're not living in uh, the kingdom today at all, uh, but yet we are working toward that. And, and you kind of briefly touched on a bit of Israel's history, but, you know, ever since the fall, and, and again, we're not saying that not any of this surprised God, God has a plan all along, but from a human perspective, thinking linearly It it seems like it's an issue of rejection. And so uh, the the Jews tried prophets, priests, kings, judges in an earthly sense, and time and again all of them failed, and it won't be until the king of kings finally comes back, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ himself, uh, throws off the shackles of the revived Roman Empire, takes the throne that's rightfully his— kicking out the beast uh, and the false prophet. And then and only then will we have, you know, that unprecedented time of peace and righteousness. And all of the prophets agree on that. You know, they all talk about it. Isaiah, you know, we we tend to think of uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 as a Christmas passage. Uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, but we forget the rest of that passage is all about the eschaton. It's all about the future kingdom that we look forward to. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to look around us today and figure out that the, the the governments of the world are not, you know, submitting to Christ. They're not on His shoulders, as Isaiah put it in Isaiah nine. Uh, that clearly is not happening now. But right now, the whole world's under the sway of the wicked one. One day, the whole world will be under the rightful rule of uh, Jesus Christ, our Savior.
1: And and to me, it is vital, vital for every Christian to be mindful of and to have our affections set upon that kingdom period, because I believe that many of the sacrifices, or we might say compromises, that the church makes today, if we use the church in the broadest sense possible, are because we've taken the eyes off of that perfect messianic kingdom and 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 kind of departed from the ideal, and we wound up with a, a perverse and sadly diminished perspective on what ought to be, right? It, it moves. The compromise to the point where we start making the compromises that we see, almost like you know, if you uh, have a craftsman who makes a certain widget or a certain thing, a car, whatever it is, carvings, and then trains someone uh, poorly or doesn't train someone at all, someone just sees that and, and then walks away and forgets it quickly, right? They're not going to be able to reproduce that, they're going to be satisfied with something far less than the uh, expert craftsman's level of work. And so, I think that's really been one of the things that has caused the church to fall. Into such great, uh, dare I use the term, apostasy, because we've taken our eyes off of the ultimate reality and said, well, that's just fantasy far away by and by. And we need ultimately to, you know, to, to, to make compromises and get the best out of what we can do here. Right. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the same thing is, that's true individually is true corporately for the church. Individuals often fall into, you know, uh, complete sin and debauchery because they forget who they are in Christ. I'm talking about believers. Believers end up catering to the flesh, backsliding, living like paupers, living like slaves, rather than living like free men and, and, and the new person they are. I talked about that uh, last week on my uh, Christian Underground News Network uh, message. Uh, but the same thing's true for the church. You know, we are forgetting that we're supposed to shine like stars in this perverse universe, as Paul says. We're supposed to be that microcosm of glory. And so there is a huge disconnect between the description we get of the kingdom in all of its glory, which I get that it's the kingdom for Israel, but it's a global kingdom that is just coming through Israel, God's Mm -hmm. chosen people. And we read all about that in the Old Testament passages like Ezekiel 40 to 48 and others, Isaiah 60 and 61 and then we compare that to what the church looks like today mm-hmm. and it is a stark contrast i mean we're we are not you know we're, we're like you know like the, the the guy that you know buys a a big you know mansion that's all manicured and 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 then he just slowly neglects it and before long it's all run down and the weeds are everywhere and the walls are cracking and it's lost its luster and i think The church is not the kingdom today, but we are to be, uh, you know, providing a foretaste of the kingdom to come to the extent that we reflect Christ's glory and live like the the church is supposed to live.
1: Absolutely. I mean, so with all that uh, in mind and with your permission, should we pick up right at the beginning of this time, at least how I see the beginning of this time is revealed in Revelation 21 through 3. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So to put this into context on your on your Bible timeline, right? we've got uh, the seven-year tribulation, has come to its conclusion. Jesus Christ has broken through, and we, the saints of God, behind Him, He's on His great white charger. He's, uh, you know, uh, slain the His enemies with the the sword or the word of His mouth. He is. There's just. There's been a lot that has occurred right up to this point, but I t- I view this as sort of a pinnacle moment when Satan is bound. I mean. We can't even imagine you and I we'd be out of business, right? We, we, we've spent so much time uh, making sure that the body is according to the command of God, not unaware of the Satan schemes. like that that won't be a job anymore. We won't have to worry about that anymore. Satan bound—it's—it actually staggers my imagination to—to to think what it will be like to be in a world without—without uh, without Satan. I—I'm reminded of of the movie Hook with Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman years ago. And at one point, he spares uh, Captain Hook and in, in his Dustin hoffmanist way, you know, he puts on the things. What would the world be like without Captain Hook? Well, what would the world be like? <laughs> Without Satan, I, I I'm I I almost again uh, get too animated to speak in an organized fashion. But what sorts of uh, what sorts of re- repercussions of that are most exciting to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, as you mentioned, putting this on the perspective of God's plan of the ages, you know, you've got the end of the tribulation with the climactic battle of Armageddon, Christ coming back, the Church coming back with Him, riding on white horses, ready to inaugurate the kingdom. Uh, then you've got that. Uh, strange 75-day interval after the return of Christ, prior to the official commencement that you just read about in Revelation 20, the thousand years. Uh, And to clarify, Revelation 20, the passage you just read, is where we get the term millennium from. So the kingdom, the messianic kingdom, is eternal, Once Christ comes back, He never gives it up. It's just that the first one thousand years of that kingdom are of a unique nature on the old earth before the the old earth and old heavens are destroyed. So, it's during that time that Satan, as you just said, will be bound. And uh, you're right; it's going to change the nature of uh, you know God's people and how they interact with the lost. Now, to clarify, at the beginning of the kingdom there won't be any uh, unbelievers present, right? Because at Christ's return, Matthew 25 tells us, all unbelievers are cast into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, But there will be believers who, unlike the church, are still in their physical bodies. In other words, they survived the tribulation period. They weren't martyred. They're in their physical, mortal, flesh and blood bodies. They inhabit the kingdom. Uh, they are the ones that will then procreate and repopulate the earth. Their children, who are born during the millennium, will need to be saved like everyone born. Everyone's born dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians two one. And so over time, there will develop a population of unbelievers, and we as believers, even though we'll be in our glorified bodies, we will still be interacting, and you're probably going to get to that in a moment, but uh, with these people. And it'll change the nature of how we interact with them because uh, there won't be injustices mm. in, in the world during that time. Christ will rule with a rod of iron. You won't have accidental deaths. Nobody will be able to rightly shake their fist at heaven and say, this isn't fair, God. You know, my young child drowned or my, you know, husband had cancer or that kind of thing. Uh, so it'll be a unique time. But but explain you know, uh, so, so you're right, I am looking forward uh, to that time when Satan is largely kept in check. But explain uh, to us the, the the subtle distinction here between Satan being bound in the abyss for that thousand-year period and his ultimate destruction, because this is not his ultimate destruction, right?
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's a really remarkable period in that Satan is sort of just held in a in a an imprisonment, right, in a temporary holding, uh, before he finally gets to have a what what a, whatever a short season looks like to re uh, rouse up from those uh, generations that, that followed, right, the descendants of those initial people who all came into the millennial period saved. He will be able to, and and it's a shocking statement about the depravity of man and the effects of sin. That he will still, after a thousand years of, of perfect kingdom living, or, or if not perfect, very excellent uh, kingdom living, living under perfect uh, leadership under Christ, right? He will be able to find a sympathetic audience. In fact, quite a multitude are going to be able to follow him into deception. Um, but for that period, and then of course uh, after that, it's it's really almost a comical reading, right? There's very little drama, unlike the uh, second coming where there's this big dramatic return and it just seems as if they're kind of licked up and judged and that's the end of it, right? And then uh, Satan is cast into his ultimate destiny with which is the lake of fire which was prepared for him and his other fallen angels, those who followed him. And tragically, because there is no place for the unsaved in heaven, that's the only place that unsaved people will go as well is that lake of fire, that place that we would properly refer to as Hell, right? An eternity apart from God in, in torment and dis, uh, discomfort. So um, that's his final end, right. And at that point, as we enter into the new heavens, and the new earth, we're truly in a sinless place, right? a fully redeemed. and, and as you so appointed, so well the millennial kingdom is really just sort of the doorstep, you know, the cover page to the great uh, rolling ages of perfection to come in the new heavens and the new earth.
0: Yeah, the eternal state. So the uh, the question that I think is sort of the elephant in the room that I'm sure you get all the time and I get all the time, and we can't cite chapter and verse to give an answer, but I think there is a, a theological answer to it and that is why the millennium. I mean why when Christ comes back doesn't he just end the earth right then, create the new heavens and the new earth and we spend all, you know, eternity in 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 blissful uh righteousness and so forth. Why do we need this
1: 1000-year millennium? Mm. And uh, I usually like to answer this by saying why any of it. <laughs> Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. There have been many moments where I'd look up at the Lord and say, why not the rapture now? Why not yeah. now? Why Why do we need another, you know, 30 days or 30 years or whatever it is, or 30 years? minutes? Yeah, Yeah. I'm ready <laughs> to go at this moment. So from our human perspective, right, I think because we don't understand the exquisite uh, beauty of God's self-revelation through the creation of time and through this amazing, you know, plan to glorify himself through the ages, uh, we. We at least have to say we lack perspective, but I think we can step back and say, well, we know that for whatever reason, the Lord tarries, he tarries for his glory, right? That his, he is glorified even in this time period, just as he will be through it. And so we could make that same argument. Why the tribulation? Why not just zip up the bad? You know, We could ask that question of every time, but he's maximally glorified by the fullest expression of the uh, free will, rejection of him by men and by angels, right, and and showing and displaying something unique about his character. So in the millennial period, one of the things we see displayed in his character that is pretty apparent is that he can provide us with a perfect world system ruled by the perfect ruler. Uh, I would argue that anyone would argue that death will be diminished, and I would argue that for the faithful, death will be a non-factor entirely. And so you've got this perfect world and even then the sinful heart of man will choose to reject the one who gave him everything. And so uh, God is glorified by showing his grace even to them and showing uh his his goodness and um finally by <laughs> as the Job um the Job trial shows us, right? Job, God allows Job to be tested and that glorifies God because Job, even in spite of losing everything, right? At Satan's, uh, behest and persecution still chooses to glorify God, proving that God is God and we are created to glorify him. And that, uh, created attempt or, or, or idea will occur, even if it's not always in the majority. So, uh, Simple answer, God is glorified through that time and will be glorified through that time. Longer answer, what a joy will it be for us to see? And how will we want to glorify God personally in our own lives as we get to interact with Him and serve under Jesus Christ, the King of kings, and glorify and tell others in the succeeding generations of His goodness and of the uh, great struggle against evil that He has prevailed in? Um, He will reveal himself. It's you know, it's kind of like if you were to listen to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which I regard as Beethoven's finest masterpiece, and say, you know, can you make a shorter version? <laughs> <laughs> like, well he could, and it would probably be breathtaking. But you ought to sit down for the full, I don't know, it was 25, 30 minutes, I can't remember how long it is a long piece. You ought to sit down and hear it all to know the great genius of Beethoven. So similarly, uh the 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 plan of being glorified through the ages, I think is absolutely reaches a pinnacle in that millennial kingdom period yeah how do you yeah
0: understand? yeah i think that's a great answer and i and i love how you 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 started out by just saying look this is god's revealed plan and that's why it's so critical that we Get in the Word. The, God, the Word of God provides the answers to these kinds of questions. You know, all of the why questions. If we just dive into the Word, it'll start to make sense. Not that we will understand the mind of God. He uh, Romans eleven makes it clear that that you know we can never have that. But we'll 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 learn to trust Him more. We'll learn to know Him better, and then His plan of the ages is something that we can see ultimately brings Him glory. It's what. Now uh, dispensationalists call the doxological purpose of God in human history. It's it's bringing Himself uh, glory. So with that caveat, which I think you you reminded us of, then you look at it from a human perspective, and you can see a number of benefits of the thousand year millennium. So the first thing that comes to my mind is remember. Even though the kingdom is eternal, you know, that's very clear from all the Old Testament prophets, even from Luke chapter 1 when Gabriel talked to Mary, you know, when Christ comes, He will reign forever and ever. The kingdom that is going to be inaugurated, as Daniel said, when Christ returns, there shall be no end to it. There'll never be another evil kingdom, another confederacy like the Assyrians or the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the Romans coming in to under, you know, to, to, to try to knock Christ off the throne. It will be a forever kingdom. He shall reign forever and ever. So even though that's the case, the the distinction between the millennial phase of the kingdom and the eternal state is quite significant. And I think like you, it's going to be nice for us, all believers and the whole world, to see a kingdom inaugurated for a period of time that functions on this earth, with the same kind of, you know, rules of engagement, so to speak. You know, you still have night and day, you still have working, you still have people, you know, in families and so forth. And so the eternal state totally different. When the new heavens and the new earth are created, you know, you don't have a temple because the Godhead is the temple. Uh, You know, you don't have night. You don't have, you know, uh, uh, all of those things. And so, uh, yeah, we could jump right to that. But I love the musical analogy, by the way. For our listeners' sake, uh, Brad and his family are just Unbelievably gifted musicians. Brad's one of those guys I'm jealous of for a lot of reasons, but particularly because he can uh, both preach and exegete the Word. but he can also sing and play instruments, and so I wish I had that. Uh, that ability it would certainly come in handy in ministry. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's you know the millennial phase of the kingdom is going to basically show us you know, as the Bible comes full circle once again, leading up to that new creation and the new heavens and the new earth, what life is supposed to be like when uh, God is, you know, ruling and reigning on the earth. I I think another uh, benefit or purpose of the millennium that you also mentioned, if I can just reiterate, is that the millennium demonstrates that even under the most idyllic of conditions, when there are no injustices, there's no... Rampant crime and apostasy and debauchery and all of this thing, uh, even then, the heart of man is desperately wicked, and unbelievers will stunningly, many of them, still reject Christ. Now, there will be many that are saved, obviously. There'll be a great harvest in the tr- uh, millennium, the way there is in the tribulation. But stunningly, some people, their heart is so hard, they will just reject the free gift of salvation, even though they can see Christ and and possibly even make an appointment with him to go talk to him, you know, And they'll still say, "No, thank you. i I don't want this gift of grace." And so that uh, that just sort of shows it, it takes away the argument that so many have had throughout six thousand years of human history that, you know, how dare God and who does God think he is? And how could God treat me like this? And as I've said many times, and I know as a grace guy, you've you've said something similar, I'm sure. If anybody ends up in hell, they they have nobody to blame but themselves, because God is doing everything He possibly can, short of compelling you the way Calvinists think He does, uh, to come to faith. You know, He's offered the gift. He's paid for it. He sacrificed His own son for it. Uh, it's right there, uh, freely to be received. If you reject it, well, that's on you. And uh, so uh, I think that that's one of the big purposes from a human perspective, as we just sort of look at what God is doing on earth, is it's to show us that even under the best of conditions, people, there will still be people who reject Christ.
1: Mm. Yes, absolutely. And it's, uh, again, shows his the fullest picture of his character and his absolute uh, power and authority and deity, right, in creating this world and showing uh, how that he was sovereignly able to create these creatures that have free will and responses to him, and he—it's he, just a, a remarkable display again of all that he is. You know, as you were as you were talking, it reminded me of something you mentioned already, but um, Isaiah 11, six through nine says that this will, the wolf shall lay down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the, Lord, as the waters cover the sea, mm. and this passage to me is 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 one that reminds us what it'll be like to dwell on a restored earth, right? I mean, it's really interesting when you interact with animals. I don't know if we all share this, but most of us uh, see an animal, whether it's like that. We love keeping dogs or cats or household pets, or whether you know, there's even. Many, many people who are f- really fulfilled by uh, caring for animals in a farm environment, or we're designed to love and care for these animals. And I'll be very frank it is all, it takes all the restraint possible anytime I'm at the zoo not to jump over the embankment and go and hug a bear. Because the bears just look delightful for hugging. And I believe it's something that God put in us, right? It was sin in the fall that broke that relationship. And yet here we're going to see major biological changes in all of the animal kingdom to where bears and cows and all these other things are going to live together. And we will be able to take our stewardship role that we were designed for and looking after these beautiful, interesting, delightful creatures of God with no fear of any kind of of danger. Danger, right, no, no yeah. fear of
0: viper. And my my granddaughter loves bears. Uh, she that's her favorite animal at the zoo. But you're right; it's what we're seeing in the kingdom, the kingdom to come, is a return to the pre-fall Edenic state. Right? Adam and Eve fellowshipped with the animals. They walked and talked with them, as you've pointed out. I think in a previous podcast that we did. That's why it wasn't unusual for a serpent to come up and 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 have a conversation with Adam and Eve. That wasn't unusual. They were they had. Perfect fellowship uh, with the animals, and it was only after the fall that there became this this animosity. Uh, and uh, you know what a what a time that will be. The zoos will no longer need cages, right? Uh, they just won't. Uh, they you know will be able to interact with them. And you know it's hard for us to imagine that. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, you know, based on what you just read in Isaiah eleven, you know, let's say you're you're you're. You know, you're taking your six month old baby for a walk, and uh, all of a sudden you 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 think, I, I want to run and you stop in here at this uh, you know restroom and and run to the restroom. I'm gonna I'm gonna set my six month old right over here by this cobra's pit, uh, unattended, nobody watching over him. You just wait here by the cobra, little Tommy, and I'll be right back. I'm gonna run to the restroom. I mean, it's absurd, right? We it's it just hard to even picture, but that's what life will be like. Uh, in the kingdom, and uh, and so it's it's a it's something that our our heart should long for, but it's uh, sadly a- after so many years of depravity, uh, we've we've just gotten hardened and we forget what that new nature really was like. Uh, we have it in Christ, you know. If you're in Christ as a believer, you have that new nature, but often, so often, it still gets clouded by that 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 old man. And uh, that's really what we're hoping to accomplish with our program today is to get people to remember who they are, where their citizenship really is, and what we have to look forward to, right?
1: Absolutely. And just the idea that we will no longer have to, you know, forced, foist control over the the neck of, of nature, right? But rather it will respond as it was designed to, right? Things won't be difficult. That whole thorns and thistles situation lost. I mean, I just... You know, around Colorado where you and I I live and and love, there's all this beautiful nature, but also we have like mountain lion issues around the outskirts of many towns. Can you imagine instead of hearing about a child being mauled or taken away or or hurt by that, but instead, like, oh no, my daughter's bringing home another mountain lion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going to have to care for that. Oh well. I tell you, we were.
0: We lived pretty remote in the mountains for four years, and uh, I caught mountain lions on my game camera on our property out in the in the mountains, and uh, and we know, so we know they were there, but we also know from our dogs that there were times when they would just go crazy at night, and we know there were mountain lions lurking out there beyond, you know, the light where you couldn't see around the house. Uh, we lived in a cabin right on a river, 45 minutes from the nearest uh, gas station or grocery store, uh, and those are real things, and hiking Uh, It never happened to me, but I heard more than one story about people hiking through the the Colorado National Forest and other state parks and and the trail system and being stalked by a mountain lion. I remember hearing one guy that the whole last uh, 30, 40 minutes of his hike as he was heading back to his cabin, he watched up on a cliff, a mountain lion tracking right with him, watching, and the whole time he was just... You know, afraid he was going to jump down on him. Uh, that's why, by the way, you never go hiking in, in anywhere, but in Colorado, especially, without a sidearm, you just need it. Mm-hmm. You never know if you're going to come across a bear uh, with its cubs, or uh, you name it. So, but yeah, we won't have to worry about that. We'll not only will we not need to carry a sidearm, we'll actually be able to take walks with the bears and mountain lions. Right?
1: Right. Now, what-, so,
0: what are some other uh, just characteristics, if you will, of what life will be like in the kingdom. You have any more?
1: Well, I I I have really two that that excite me that I want to talk about. Uh, today, time permitting, of course, but one is for us that, it, as you so well mentioned, that everybody entering into the millennial kingdom will be believers in their natural bodies with their sin nature, right? So as we'll as we talked about, you know, the world system will not be a feature, a factor of of uh, in interfering with people's spiritual life. Uh, Satan will not be a factor, but the sin nature continues. However, not for us. For us who have trusted in Christ today, right, we will be given these new bodies, and it's. Uh, you know, spoken of several times in Scripture, but 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Uh, so when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal body is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And 1 John, likewise, in 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not owe him. Beloved, now we are children of God, for it has not yet been revealed what she, what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he's pure. So these renewed bodies that uh, for all that we can know about them, or maybe for all that we don't know, will not tire, will not be affected by sin, will not uh, get old or sick. Uh, Again, as I think about all the things that are not as much fun now as they were when I was 13, 14, even 18 years old, one of them's roller coasters. There was so much fun to be on a roller coaster, a spinning ride, and oh, you get dizzy, and now I just throw up. Yeah, yeah because I'm getting old and a little fat and a little sad that way and to to return to that age where our bodies are able to have the maximum amount of fun is going to change everything but going a step further, you know oftentimes our enjoyment of music is diminished by the fact that our hearing might be going. And so we can't hear the finer points and well, perfect hearing. Oh, what about yeah. our appreciation of nature and the colors that we can't see off in the distance? Because like you and I, we know we've ruined our eyes with excessive reading. And so now we got glasses on to just see clearly, but to be able to see sharper than an eagle's eye or at least as sharp as we were intended to and appreciate the beauty of every leaf and every animal and every you know landscape as it was meant to be, uh, it'll be a, a world just a ab- abundant with things to appreciate and love. And,
0: uh, you know, it'll be like high definition, really, or or whatever it is today, 4K or, you know, something, Uh, you know, I I remind people all the time, I think I said this recently in a message that as beautiful as the Colorado mountains are, and the beautiful tall timbers that we find ourselves in, as I look out my window here from my office, uh, we need to remember this is God's earth after the judgment on sin after the flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, just imagine how beautiful it was before sin entered the equation, and that's kind of a glimpse of what we're going to see in the kingdom. We're going to see topological changes, geographic changes. We're going to see just even the size of the Temple Mount and things like that over in Jerusalem changing, and it's going to be spectacular. Um and uh, I hadn't thought about that in a while, but you're right. You know, uh, I have very poor hearing. I, I, I have to wear hearing aids. And and I think it's even getting worse because I'm noticing now when I take my hearing aids out at the end of the day, it's, a, it's even more of a stark difference than it, than it was before. So, and my eyesight is terrible. Uh, but once this mortal puts on immortality, uh, then, you know, remember Paul said in that same passage, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. So he's not talking about the millennial phase of the kingdom, but ultimately, when all is said and done, the final eternal state kingdom is going to be a not a flesh and blood kingdom; it's a glorified kingdom. Uh, and so, in order for us to get there eventually, we have to have you know these glorified bodies. Um, that's the church. Now, again. Just to master the obvious, we 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 want to remind you that during the tribulation, anybody left behind who doesn't know the Lord today, and if you don't, by the way, uh, if you want to be able to experience the the beauty and glory and wonder that is the millennium, you need to trust Christ today. You need to take a moment right now, press pause on this podcast and uh recognize and acknowledge your sinfulness before uh God almighty and trust in his son and our savior Jesus Christ as the only one who can forgive that sin and give you the free gift of eternal life faith alone is the only way to be saved so so do that today but uh for those who are left behind that don't know the lord uh then uh, you know, we'll have the tribulation and all the horrors of, of that when the beast and the false prophet are ruling at the behest of Satan. But those who get saved during that time, uh, you know, they will, uh, uh, you know, if they they'll either be martyred or if they survive by fleeing from Satan's wrath and heading to the hills. when Christ comes back at the end of that seven year period, they will be the ones to whom he says, "Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom." So there will be a whole population, Of people in their mortal bodies that are believers, the sheep, Jesus calls them, and they will be the ones that that live on the earth and populate the earth again in the millennium. We will be in a, you know, the church will be there ruling and reigning with Christ, serving with Him, um, uh, interacting with people in their mortal bodies, but we will already have our glorified bodies. You mentioned early on uh, something that I uh, also believe, and I think we're in the minority here, which... uh, that's okay. If I, if I was going to be in the minority with anybody on earth, I'm <laughs> proud to be in the minority with you, now, you, me, and Jesus. We make up the perfect trifecta, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, you said that in the millennium, for those believers in their physical bodies, uh, I I don't think death will be a factor. I believe death will only affect unbelievers. Uh, Isaiah talks about how. And that that goes into my understanding of the new covenant and the new covenant blessings. But um, Isaiah talks about a person who dies at the age of 100 will be considered an infant. And so we're going to see longevity of life for those in their physical bodies. And it's my view, and I get there from a theological synthesis, not necessarily a chapter and verse, but comparing Scripture with Scripture, it's my view that once a person gets saved or if they enter the kingdom already saved— uh, they will live throughout the entire millennium. I don't think they'll die. Um, and by the way, I have an article on that. Uh, if anybody's interested, just email me uh, at notbyworks.org, and I'll send it to you. It's called Death in the Millennium, and it kind of makes makes the case. Not a hill that I would die on, but I think it is uh, important. Um, one other thing I want to touch on before we wrap up here in a, in a bit, uh, you talked about at the beginning Satan being bound. Um it still stuns me to this day how amillennialists and covenant theologians and people, replacement theologians, they can claim that that portion of, of Revelation in chapter 20 that you read refers to the church age. I mean, if Satan is bound today, first of all, that contradicts a host of other scriptures like 1 John 5 19, where we're specifically told the whole world is under his sway. Kind of. Right. Hard to be in control of the whole world if you're in a prison somewhere in the abyss, but I mean, how in the world can anybody look? Never mind the scripture; just look at the world around you and think Satan is bound up today, that he's in prison today. Ugh, I just I don't get it. But that's what they t- think. They think that Revelation, the whole book, is just a reiteration, time and again, every two three chapters of the present age. Uh, the shield judgments are the present church age. The trumpet judgments are the present church age. The- bold judgments are the present church age, and the millennium is the present church age, and it's just uh, allegory and 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 spiritualizing of the text uh, in its worst uh, example. So, um, but yeah, I know we're 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 coming up on our time limit here. But t- uh, give me you know some closing thoughts. You said there were two things that you wanted to mention too about uh, you know life in the millennium. Uh, what was the other one?
1: Well, uh, and and with great respect to the time of yourself and our viewers, uh, I'll be brief, but ultimately the millennial kingdom, the, the number one thing will be Jesus Christ, mm, amen. seeing him here on the earth. And to think that we will have special access to him. I mean, imagine what uh, polit- politician or world leader that you have special access to. For most of us, the answer to that is absolutely none, right? We might be able to write a letter or some, some other such uh, indirect communication or a vote maybe, but ultimately there's no real connection there. To be in face-to-face Uh, fellowship moment by moment, day by day with Jesus Christ. However our ruling and reigning looks, whether we're kind of spread throughout the earth, but, but united with him in purpose, or we all rule from the command center in Jerusalem, I don't know. But I do know that Jesus Christ, as you so well pointed out, will be ruling. And as Isaiah 9 says, the government will be on his shoulders and his name will be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon that literal throne of David and over his kingdom, and order it and establish it in judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will uh, perform this. So Mm. this picture of the perfect rain, especially right on the coattails of the worst rain in all history through the Antichrist, right? We'll have the perfect rain to compare uh, and and, and contrast and see what true justice, what true love, what true peace, what true uh, wisdom is. And as um, Isaiah 11, you know, on the same theme, goes on to say that he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor. Uh, So this reality that we will finally have a leader that cannot be hoodwinked, cannot be over, you know, overcome or won over to a side, but will rule in absolute righteousness and justice, and he'll be the same Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who we are personally connected to by faith in him, by trusting in his sacrifice for sin. That's the point. That is it, that all of Human history will point and stand at this pinnacle moment on this heavens and this earth, and Jesus Christ will stand at the pinnacle of it and be glorified by all, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, and everything will fall to glorifying and the, uh, and, and shining the light of glory and reality on the Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. That's something that I'm very excited about.
0: Wow. I mean, just wow. What What an incredible... Uh, reminder, you know, and the really cool thing is, Brad, uh, by the way, we're talking to Brad Maston, Fort Collins Bible Church and Fort Collins Bible College. Uh, the really cool thing is as believers in the church age, one of the unique blessings of being part of the Bride of Christ is we get at least a seven-year head start on that. It's like we get a, a special backstage pass before the concert when he comes back in all of his glory and takes the throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're gonna see him face to face in the air. And uh, but yeah, when he's on the earth, you know, it'll be it'll be totally different than what it's like today. You know, today we we walk by faith and not by sight. So when we're sharing the gospel with people like we do on our programs and in our books and in our messages, you know, we're calling people to look back Mm -hmm. to a hill outside Jerusalem where God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, took your sins upon him, as you said, paid your personal penalty uh, for sin, died, rose again the third day. We're we're asking them to look back to Calvary. Mm. In the millennium, we're going to be looking at Christ, you know, when yes. w- once believers are uh, once uh, unbelievers uh, develop on the earth, people are born and grow up and and you're starting to share Christ with them. You won't be pointing them back, per se. You'll be saying, hey, you, you, you know, you know, that guy over there in Jerusalem sitting on the throne, you know, the one you watched uh, last night, give the state <laughs> of the world address on Fox News. That guy, <laughs> if you'll trust in him, if you'll trust in him, mm. he'll give you eternal life and mm. everybody will know him you know, from the least to the greatest. That's what Jeremiah says in the New Covenant promises. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know to what extent we will, uh, you know, be able to uh, make an appointment and go spend some one-on-one time with him, but I can tell you that's his heart, you know. He wants everybody to come. And he said, suffer the little children to come to me, right? You know, I, I one of the struggles that that I am having as God has blessed our ministry and we've, you know, started to, uh, uh, you know, see uh, an expanded audience is that when we speak at conferences now, one of my favorite things has always been over the last 20 plus years of conference ministry, the conversations that I get to have off stage, the conversations at the resource table or just kind of walking around and talking to people. But, you know, I don't, there's not enough time to do it all. And, uh, you know, but, but it always irks me when other speakers, and this happened to me uh, in Orlando, I won't mention any names, but, you know, there was another, I was like a wide eyed kid at this conference, because all all these people that were speaking, uh, there were heroes of mine, I just couldn't believe I got to be one of the speakers there. And I just couldn't wait to meet him. And I was, you know, committing, uh, you know, these little social errors by asking to take selfies with them, just like, (laughs) you know, a fan, because I was, and I just, I just wanted to capture the moment. But one of them that I was really looking forward to seeing was surrounded by security guards. You couldn't get to him. He didn't really want to take the time. And I just thought, Lord, please, you know, and I don't know his heart and I, and, and I get it. I mean, you know, maybe it's just a factor you have to do, but I just hope, I said, Lord, I hope I never get to that point where, you know, people can't get to me. Uh, I understand, you know, there's times when I've got to say, look, I'm just, I'm headed on stage, or I'm headed over here, I'm headed to a meeting, I can't, but I want to always try to be gracious. And I just, something tells me that our Savior, Jesus Christ, always has an open door policy, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. And we know that, right? I mean, Hebrews tells us about the the entree that we have, as well as Ephesians and elsewhere, with this entree that he doesn't just He's not just willing to tolerate us coming into heaven's throne room (laughs) in prayer, but he wants us to. Yeah. He wants us to.
0: Come on to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, uh, you know, that's this call to salvation. So in mm-hmm. Matthew 11. So, well, Brad, uh, man, so much more we could talk about. We could talk about this all day. And uh, uh, I hope it will prompt people to dive into the Word of God, look at some of these descriptions in the Old Testament that we've talked about today, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 9, uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah, um uh, uh, also Isaiah 60, 61, Revelation twenty and just you know let the Lord and the Spirit of God use that to really encourage you that a better day is coming. I understand these are dark times in which we live and we do need to contemplate that and be prepared. But at the same time we know who wins in the end. So be encouraged and uh, let's do this again, Brad. Uh, we'll talk offline, pick another uh, topic, and uh, but always a pleasure to have you guys on and uh, have you on. And thanks so much for uh, for being with us today.
1: It's been a delight. Thanks, JB.
0: You bet. Well, to everyone else, uh, God bless you. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Don't forget tomorrow we've got Shane back on with a technology update that should be posted by midday. And uh, if we can ever do anything for you, reach out and uh, we are going to be launching a new segment that will be a weekly segment. And you're hearing it here first, but we just talked about it with our, with my team, my wife and my daughter Brooke uh, yesterday. we're going to be starting a new section that I'll be doing solo, and it'll be called "Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions." And what I'm doing is keeping a list of all of these emails that people send me with questions, which I love, but I just simply don't have the time to sit down and type out answers to all of them. We're going to be answering those weekly in an in an uh, just a simple podcast where we take your questions one at a time and answer them. So if you've sent me an email recently with a question. Uh, Look forward to that. The first one is going to be Monday, July 17th. Uh, It'll post first thing in the morning. And again, it'll just be question and answer where I'm reading questions that you've sent me and I will answer them. And we'll do that every week, uh, more if we need to, uh, but look forward to that on Monday. But in the meantime, have a great rest of the day and uh, God bless you, everyone. Thanks for listening.